Good morning, 11 o'clock. Oh, see, Elder Drew over here got y'all warmed up, so that was awesome. My name is Keegan. I'm the lead pastor here at our Belton location. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I will be out in the commons right after the service near our guest suite. I'd love to meet you in person, shake your hand, and find out how in the world you ended up here this morning. I'm glad that glad that you're here. So uh, we are in between series. You just got to hear from Pastor Stephen about Stronger that's coming and starting next week. That is going to be a deep dive, if you will, into uh, the armor of God, spiritual warfare. Come on, some people that might be uh, new territory for you, but it's going to be powerful. And I really want to encourage you, just like he did, get the resources. Don't let money be an issue, but really get that because what so many people don't realize is that the things that they're really truly wrestling with in their lives, in their walk with Christ, are spiritual more than they're natural. And a lot of people don't know how to deal with that. They don't even know how to acknowledge it. They don't even know how to recognize it. And so this series is going to absolutely be life-changing for you and for your family, I'm telling you. And so stop by and grab that. I do want to tell you about one other thing before we dive into a message I am really, really excited about today. Uh, and that is people have been asking, when are we going to have our next worship night and water baptisms? I have the answer for you. It's right there, October 4th, right here at our Belton location. We haven't had baptisms here in, in quite some time. We've been uh, jumping in when they've done it over at Harker Heights at that location. But it's time for us to have some baptisms back here at Belton. And so if that's the next step for you, you've given your life to Christ, you haven't been water baptized, I want to encourage you, register. Uh, it's just it's going to come faster than you realize, I promise. So register for that. It's going to be great. Uh, I am honored to have my in-laws with me, uh, Larry and Larice. These are Dara's parents, so let's just give them a round of applause, can we? They're going to tell me how uncomfortable that was later, but that's all right. I think you got to give honor where honor is due, and I wouldn't have my beautiful wife if it wasn't for them, and so I'm honored to have them here today. We're going to talk about the most important thing in life. Is that a good topic for today? The title of my message is also a question, and it's this, what matters most? If I ask you that question, what's your initial thought that comes to your mind? Maybe it's, some of you say, well, God. God matters most. Maybe you say it's your career. You're just crushing it right now, and you're going from glory to glory to glory in your, in your job and in your vocation. Maybe for some of you, it's your family. What matters most is family. Family is good. But can I tell you, the answer to this question is not family. It's knowing God. What matters most in all of our existence, in all of our life, is knowing God, and I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture. See, and I'm not talking about casual knowing. Come on, you ever, you ever hear, they used to tell all the single girls when I was growing up that, hey, just, you're just dating Jesus. You're not really single, you're just dating Jesus. The problem is, when you think that you're just dating Jesus, you might think, well, let me just keep dating him for the rest of my life. And no, we're not dating Jesus. We're Knowing him deeply, that is our goal, to know God intimately, right? This is not just a casual affair that we have with God. Oh, yeah, I just check in with Jesus a few weekends out of the year, and, and, you know, and our relationship's all right. Come on, do you really, truly, deeply know God? Do you recognize his voice instantly if he whispers to you? Can you recognize his interaction in your life, his movement in your life. Can you recognize his touch? I love how it's always difficult to describe the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit because so many people uh, 
receive and, and they, their, their interaction with him can be different. Their experience can be different. But you can recognize there is something about knowing the presence of God and being aware. There's an old song called Holy Spirit that, that says, make us more aware. Do you know God's presence is here? But you can still be in the same room with God and still miss him completely. We've got to know God, not just know about. If, if anyone ever asks you, what is your pastor most concerned about in your coming and being a part of that church? It's not that you come every week, even though I love seeing your faces every week. It's not that you serve on a serve team, although that's another great thing. It's not that you get into a small group, which you're going to have an opportunity to do. What I care most about is that each and every one of you truly knows God. So we're going to talk about this. Who's got your Bible? Wave it at me. I'm going to do this, I said in the first service, until we get to the end of December and I see a bunch of Bibles go up in the air. Listen, I'm all for digital stuff, but nobody can unplug this Bible right here. This Bible right here is not going to run out of battery life and leave me wondering, oh, I can't get to my word. You got to get a physical Bible. We're going to read, if you would, turn to page, uh, page, turn to Philippians. If you got the same exact Bible I have, it's page 1560. But if not, turn to Philippians chapter 3, and I want to read from our main text. The title of this particular passage, which again, when the Bible was written, they didn't break it all up into titles. But, but as scholars and translators went through, they began to kind of help us organize the text so we can understand the topic and what's being covered. So this says, knowing Christ, and this is Paul writing, mind you, while he's in prison, I believe this is during his second imprisonment. Come on, it's one thing to go to prison once for your faith. But this guy multiple times has gone to prison because of his faith and his knowing Christ. This is what he says. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Come on, what does that mean when a guy in prison is telling you to rejoice in the Lord? The very reason why he's sitting in prison. Powerful. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Why do you think Paul's saying to write this, to remind you about knowing Christ is no trouble for me? Why? Because it is the most important thing. And I guarantee you, he has told them this once before. Otherwise, he wouldn't say, it's not a bother. I don't mind telling you again. It's that important. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. If you read and you study, you'll understand that Paul is addressing the issue of these Judaizers who were Jewish Christians who thought that, that Gentiles had to follow the law, that they had to uh, be circumcised physically, that they had to do these other things to have valid Christianity, to be a valid follower of Christ. But Paul's trying to help them out and let them know that's not the case. Because you can, you can get circumcised all you want in the flesh, but if your heart isn't circumcised, all you've done is mutilate yourself. That's what Paul is talking about. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. Boast in Christ Jesus. Boast in Christ Jesus, not in and of yourself. And do not put confidence in the flesh. Although if I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, uh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. See, all the things that these Judaizers were trying to boast in and be confident in and brag about as far as their standing in rightness with God, Paul's saying, listen, that's nothing to brag about, but even if you want to go there, I can outdo all of you. And then watch what he says. I have more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee. 
No one kept the law better than the Pharisees, by the way. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. No one was more zealous than Paul was when he was Saul chasing down Christians. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Remember the Jewish laws, there was about 613 of these laws that, that they had to follow. And Paul's saying, I was blameless. I was following it to the letter of the law. And yet he still doesn't think that's anything worth bragging about. Verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. Can I ask you a question? Of course I can. I've got the mic on my face. What have you suffered? What have you lost because of knowing Christ? And do you count it as dung because the trade-off of knowing him is worth all of it? What have you had to give up? What kind of persecution have you had to deal with? And how does that compare to being able to truly know Christ? This is what Paul's getting at. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal, verse 10, is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul's been through it all at this point. Over and over. How many, I don't even remember how many times he's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been persecuted. He's been put in prison. And yet none of that phases him. And he says, I would go through all of it and I would do it all over and over because of what it means to know Christ. Because of what I gain in return. Does your faith mean that much to you? Does Jesus mean that much to you this morning? You might have to buckle up. I'm already prepared. It was real quiet in the first service. Some days, that's not a bad thing. That doesn't always mean people are sleeping. That means God's speaking and I'm hearing what he's saying. I'm fired up about this message today. Why? Because it's important. We can go through our lives, go through the motion without ever accomplishing the most important thing. And that would be a tragedy. What matters most? Here's the thing. I want to share this wonderful quote from J.I. Packer. He wrote a book called Knowing God. I would suggest you read it if you're looking for a new book to read. It says, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? There's nothing greater. There's nothing greater. We're going to talk about all of our worldly pursuits, even all of our Christian pursuits, good as they may be, pale in comparison to knowing God. How can we know God? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you four ways that God has revealed himself to us. Number one, God reveals himself through creation. Romans 1.18 says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. The first way that God has revealed himself to us is through creation. Did any of you cause the sun to, to come up this morning? I didn't either, and I know no Texan would do it because we're tired of all this heat. But like, you know what? Leave it over there on the East Coast. Let them deal with it for a little while longer. We'll just handle a few hours of, of sunlight. But no, God has shown himself in creation. We don't design sunsets. All we try and do is describe them. Right? We don't design how life works and how procreation and, and recreation happen and, and all of the living things that God has made. The best we can do is try and learn and describe how it happens. Why we, why we run on, on this exchange between oxygen and, I always want to say carbon monoxide. It's not carbon monoxide. Carbon dioxide. It's been a while for me. I didn't design the human body to run that way, and neither did you, but that's how it works. And thank God we have plants to help with the process. But God has revealed himself in creation. No one is going to be able to stand before God at the end of their life and say, I just didn't know you existed. No one ever told me you were out there. God's going to go, did you open your eyes? Did you smell anything? Did you taste anything? I revealed myself over and over again through creation. People used to say this when I was growing up in church. But what about those pygmy tribes? And I don't even know where the pygmies live. And yes, we are called to go to the utter remote parts of the earth and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But even if we don't make it before he comes back, no one has an excuse to stand before God and say that he did not reveal himself to us. That's just the bottom line. Number two, God reveals himself through our hearts. Romans 2, 14 and 16. So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. You are born with a conscience. Every one of us deep down knows what's right and what's wrong. Now we try and suppress the truth sometimes because we don't want that in our sinful nature. Sometimes we want to justify what we want to be right. But every one of us has a conscience and knows better deep down. That's why some people can, can proclaim all these false things when they're up and awake. But when they lay their head on the pillow at night, make no mistake, they know. We all know deep down. Unless you get to the place where the Bible says that you've rejected God and rejected truth so much that your conscience gets seared. At that point, you have lost the ability to tell what's right and what's wrong. That's why the Bible says in the last days, they'll call evil good and good evil. Do you see any of that right now? That's a big deal. But God has revealed us, if we will listen, we know what's right and we know what's wrong. When you see people get mistreated, you know. You didn't have to learn that in school. You can tell when someone has mistreated you. Little kids, when they fight on the playground, they know when someone and the other kid's being selfish or the other kid's being a bully, they know it's wrong. 
Why? Because God has written it on our hearts. He's revealed it. Number three, God reveals himself through the Bible. John 5, 39. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. I'll just tell you, one of the best places to start figuring out and understanding who God is so that you can know him is to get into your Bible. My Bible does not wake me up in the morning and start reading itself to me. Some of you may have a version app and a reminder, and maybe yours does. But you're going to have to get in. God has made himself known in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but you won't have a clue who he is if you don't get in there and discover it for yourself. And just coming to church once a week on a Sunday is not going to be enough for you to deeply and truly know God personally. Got to get into your word. God reveals his character. You'll learn about his kindness. You'll learn about his compassion. You'll learn about his grace. You'll learn about his love, his mercies that were new today when you woke up. You'll also learn that he's just, that he's holy, that he's righteous, and that he gets angry sometimes. Come on, fathers, mothers, you ever get angry with your kids sometimes? Don't think that everything that you're out there doing is just making God have a big old smile on his face. When he sees us not acting right, not doing how we ought to be doing, not, not, not being like him in the earth, don't think for one second he's up there with a big smile on his face. At the same time, don't think he's ready to just drop the hammer on you. No, like any good parent, God is just wanting to instruct us to show us how to live life the best way how to be like him, how to treat people the way he treats us. That's why we're to be patient with people, to be long-suffering. The fruit of the Spirit that's supposed to be evident in our life should help us to treat people the way God treats us. Number four, God reveals himself through Jesus. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. In Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. If you want to know what God looks like and who he is, just look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Watch how he acts. Pay attention to who Jesus even gets irritated with. Oh, yeah, Jesus got irritated with people. You know who Jesus got irritated with over and over again? Religious people. The people who didn't want to show any grace, didn't want to show any mercy. They just wanted everybody to follow this legalistic, traditional law. These man-made rules. That's who people got irritated with. It wasn't, we think Jesus is just irritated with all the sinners in the world. No, it's the sinners that Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn. I came to give my life to them, to pay the price for them so that they could know me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus spent 33 years on this earth revealing to us who he is who God is. But you got to go and look for yourself. How do we pursue God? Because see, it doesn't matter if God's made himself known. That's not going to be enough for us to get to know him. We have to have intentionality. 
There's people walking around you that you pass every day, have no relationship with. Some of you are even in families and you feel like you don't even really have that great of a relationship. You can be in the same room with somebody and completely be disconnected and not know them. Our faith can be the same way. Sure, we might go through the, the, the rituals. We might go through the, the what, are, what do you call it, practice. But I'll go to church so I know God. Do you really? I said this in the first service. What would happen if a law was passed that said anybody in the United States, in central Texas, in a temple that shows up to worship uh, the God of, of Christianity next week is going to get thrown in jail? How many of you would I see at the door next Sunday morning? Would I be at the door next Sunday morning? Go to jail with your friends. I like that. (laughs) But this is a reality. We don't think about this because we're so used to being comfortable in this beautiful, wonderful country that we have where we have the freedom to gather and worship without even ever really thinking about any real persecution. But yet all over the world, there are believers who that is what they deal with. Finding ways or meeting, just knowing, I don't know if we're going to get arrested today or not for lifting up the name of Jesus. Can I tell you, you have to know God deeply beyond just a Sunday experience if you're going to make it through a time like that. And don't think that it can't happen in this country, in our lifetime. Don't be naive. Don't be fooled. And that's not to scare you, but, but I'm, I want to help you. You need to know God, not just know what it means to go to church. So how do we know God? How do we pursue him? Number one, read the Bible. If you want a place to start, read your Bible. And read it like this. God, I want to know you. And as I open up scripture, I'm just asking you that you would reveal yourself to me. I don't want you to just be my granddad's faith anymore. I don't want to just rely on my, what my grandma taught me or what even that preacher said this morning at church. No, you've got to know for yourself. The reason I'm serving God and I'm on fire and passionate for God and I will never turn my back at 43 is because I've truly encountered Jesus when I was a young teenager. And my mom said, listen, you can't ride. Your relationship with God can't ride off of my relationship with God. You have got to know God yourself. Parents, that's the greatest thing you can do for your kids is tell them, God wants to know you personally. This isn't about just doing what mom and dad do and just wanting to. No, you've got to have your own relationship. Because when mom and dad aren't there to tell you to turn from sin, what is going to tell you to turn from sin? What is going to tell you to refrain from things that are going to bring harm to your life? It's going to be your relationship with God. We read the Bible. Number two, we pray. And I don't mean every morning giving God your to-do list. What do I mean by that? God, you know it's Monday and I just, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. If you could have it all done by Thursday, that'd be awesome. And I'm making jokes, but let's be honest. How much of our prayer time is approaching God like this? Hey, God, I just want to hang out with you this morning. Can we just have coffee? How do you take yours? Cream and sugar? 
I'm being a little facetious, but at the same time, it only seems weird if having a real personal relationship with God seems weird. Otherwise, those are normal questions you would ask somebody. What do you like? What have you been thinking about? What's on your mind? What's the last time you just asked God what he was thinking about? Well, that's a dumb question to ask God. He knows everything. Yeah, of course he knows everything. But go back in your Bible and look at how God, from the very beginning, has wanted to be involved in your life and in the lives of his people personally. Number three way that we find that we pursue God is through worship. Here's what I love about this. You don't even get to the first usage of the word worship that's translated in worship until we get to Abraham taking Isaac up to go sacrifice him, to prove to God that he is what matters most to him, not just the promised child. He says, me and the lad are going to go and worship and come back. Before that, when you hear and you read about God's interaction with people, what does he say? He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. He walked with Noah. He walked with Enoch. I just want to set somebody in here free right now and tell you, God is more interested in being with you than all the stuff you're trying to do for him. I love that people come here and they serve. There's nothing like serving. There's nothing like getting connected into relationships in a small group. There's nothing like all of that. But that should be the overflow out of our relationship, out of a depth of our relationship with God that causes us to want to do that. I don't come to church because I, I feel like I have to, like every Sunday God's just waking me up and dragging me over there. No, I come to church because my relationship with God is real. And I want to be a part of spending time with the rest of the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters who are also having a real relationship with God. But we fall into this trap because it's part of our society. It's all about what we're doing. You ever hear people say that? We're, we're not human doings. We're human beings. But most of us, what's the first things we talk about? What are you doing right now? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing? What's your five-year plan? What are you doing at church? What are you doing? Who are you being? And who are you being with? When's the last time you had a conversation with someone? Where they said, you ask them how their week was going, and they say, man, I've just been spending time with God, and he's just showing me all kinds of things. It's been powerful. We've all heard the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus came to visit. God loved Mary and Martha, and both Mary and Martha were great, and Martha wanting to do and, and, and prepare, and, and, and in that moment with Jesus, she's still wanting to, to see things get done for, for Jesus. Her motives are good. But what did Jesus say is the better thing? What Mary's chosen to do, to just sit at his feet and just hang out with him. When's the last time you just set aside all that you're doing for God just to hang out with him? A lot of us are uncomfortable with that. It's the last time you sat and listened in your prayer time more than you talked. I figured it'd be quiet in here. This convicts all of us. I'm telling you, God's been speaking to me about this. Saying, in all you're doing, 
when are we just going to hang out again? Come on, and we know that. There's no earthly relationship that's going to go very far if every time the person sees you. Can you do this? Can you do this? And when you're done with that, can you do this? How far do you think that relationship's going to go? I'm telling you, every marriage, it, <laughs> people say, well, the secret to every marriage is communication. It's not just communication, because I can communicate all day to my wife. I'd like you to do this. I'm going to do this. I'd like you to do that. I'd like you to tell Tahila to do this. It's not about just communication. It's about spending time together. And every man that gets this wrong said, Amen. I'll say it for you. You can be tough here in church and then break down when you get home. Psalm 14, 2. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise, one who seeks God. And James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. If you're going to get to know God, it's going to take initiative. You're going to have to put the work in. You're going to have to make the effort. God has already revealed himself in multiple ways. I just showed you. But whether or not you actually get to know him personally and deeply is up to you. He doesn't say, I'm drawing near to you and you draw near to me. No, he's saying, if you will make the first step, I'll, I'll make all the rest. We see this with the prodigal son where he's coming back to his dad after he squandered what he gave him. And, and as soon as the father even gets a glimpse of seeing his son, what's he do? He bolts. As soon as he sees him take one step towards him, he's running to meet him. And that's God's promise to us. If we'll just take time and say, God, I want to know you more than just how I've known you. I want to know you not just intellectually, not just casually. I want to, I want to truly know you deeply. He'll meet you there. And here's what happens. Four results of knowing God. I love this. Number one, we have boldness to witness. Acts 4.13 says, When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Does anybody say that about your life? Hopefully not just the part about you being untrained and uneducated. But can people tell that you've been with Jesus? I mean, for real. When people get around you, if we were to ask and interview the circle of people that you're around every day, and we were to ask them, what do you think about so-and-so? Do you think they, did you know they're a follower of Christ? Would they be shocked? Would that be news to them? Would they be stunned? Or would they go, oh yeah, I'm not surprised at all. I can tell. I can tell. I don't even know everything about them, but I can tell you this. That person loves Jesus. That's all they want to talk about is, is Jesus. All they want to talk about is, is their love for God and what he's done for them. Is it obvious to other people that we've been with Jesus? I'll tell you right now, the reason most people are not stepping up and sharing their faith is because they really don't know Jesus that deeply. You're like, you're kind of mean today. I'm not. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just trying to give you the truth. Because the people that I know that have truly encountered Jesus, that truly walk with him, you got to ask those people to stop telling people sometimes. I'm really just trying to have 
dinner. Can, can you not lead everyone in a restaurant to the Lord for one night? Come on, ask yourself. You've been around people that's like, oh, here they go. I just know when we get in front of a stranger, they're going to start telling them about Jesus and asking them if they know Jesus. And you're annoyed by it. Why? Because you, haven't, you don't have the same relationship with God. You know how I know? Because when you go to that movie that blows your socks off, guess what you, that's what, guess what you can't shut up talking about? Nobody has to ask you to go brag on your team or ask you to go brag on that movie you just saw. No, you're bold about it. I don't care if you want to hear about it or not. I love that movie. Blah, 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 blah. Same with our faith. Number two, we have strength to take action. And I know I'm going over a little bit, but I'm not going to apologize. This is good. Daniel 11:32. With flattery, he will corrupt those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will be strong and take action. You want to know why there's not more action being taken by followers and so-called Christians in our society because they don't really know Jesus that deeply. Another translation says they'll be strong and do exploits. Come on, does anybody want to do exploits for the kingdom of God? Or do you just want to just live your life and just go through the motions and show up and get a place in the back nine in heaven and be good? That's not what I'm after. I want to be like, like what they said of David, that he fulfilled his every purpose that God had for him in his generation. He left it all on the field. Take action. Number three, we have confidence in eternity. Matthew 7, 22, and I'm almost done. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Remember I told you at the beginning that I was going to prove to you that what matters most is knowing him? These people were doing things for God, living their lives for him. They were, they were doing miracles in his name for crying out loud. Surely that's enough. Nope. He calls them Lawbreakers. The Bible says that they did things without, uh, without authority. They were just trying to use God's name to get a result. They weren't really interested in knowing him. We don't want to be that way. And finally, I'll close with this. Number four, we win no matter what happens. Those who truly know God, look at this, Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I know Christ. I know God for real. So I can't lose. Whether I kick the bucket or I stay down here and live and breathe and have another day, I win. But you know the only way that you win no matter what is if the definition that you have of winning is knowing him. I've said this before. How do you know that God is near the brokenhearted if you haven't had a broken heart? How do you know he's the great comforter until you need to be comforted? How do you know that he's faithful even when you're not faithful until you've been unfaithful? In every situation that we go through in life, 
if our aim, if our highest pursuit is to know him more, we win in every situation. Because every situation is an opportunity to know God more. Pretty consistent. I think I went six minutes over the first service. I'm telling you, church, what the world needs, what the world truly needs to see is people who know God. Not just people who go to church. Not just people who identify as a Christian. The Bible says, narrow is the way. There's going to be a lot of folks, and I don't want you to be one of them. There's going to be a lot of folks who are going to stand before God at the end of their life, thinking that they measured up and that they did what they had to do just going through the motions was enough it's not the question is do you really know him salvation is just the beginning is this too much for you today I don't think so let me pray for you you just bow your head close your eyes I want you to know him for real beyond what any preacher will ever tell you. You can know him. People say it like this. I just know that I know that I know. You get to that place where you're so convinced of who he is that you're willing to lose everything for him and count it as nothing. You get to the place where Peter was, where after Jesus had said a hard saying, and all of these so-called disciples, so-called followers of Christ, turned and left and walked away from him. Jesus looks at him and says, are you going to walk away too? And I love Peter's response. He says, walk away to what? There's nothing else to walk to. Only you have the words of eternal life. Only you matter, God. There is nothing else. There is no one else. And I want to know you more than anything else in my life. Yes, I want to raise a great family. Yes, I want to accomplish things in in this earth. But I want those to be an outflow, an overflow of my knowing you. I want those to be a result of my knowing you, not in place of. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus... Today's your day. He's revealed himself to you today. And all you've got to do is say yes to him and accept what he has done, his sacrifice for your sin. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when I count to three. But I also want to give you an opportunity. If you just haven't been serious about your relationship with God, he hasn't been your highest pursuit, and today you realize, God, that needs to change. I don't want to just go through the motions and just be a good Christian I want to truly know you. I'm going to give you that opportunity to to recommit in your relationship with him. So if that's you in either one of those places today, you want to recommit or you you want to know God, you want to start this relationship, I'm asking you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? 
This isn't meant to embarrass you. We just want to help you with your next step. And quite frankly, God says, Jesus himself said, if you will acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father. But if you won't acknowledge me before men, I won't acknowledge you before my Father. Acknowledge him today. Surrender your life to him today. Let me pray for you. If you raise your hand, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Church, let's all say this together in support of those. And just say this from your heart to his. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for showing me that you have revealed yourself to me in so many ways. I can see you, God, and I want to live my life for you. I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I needed you to save me. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sin so that I could know you, truly know you. I give you my life from this day forever. Be my Savior, and more than that, be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless y'all.